This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, July 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2022, on the eve of our nation's birthday, America's College Football Show. Taking no days off, even if America's college football host irresponsibly forgot the white t-shirt at home. I feel like poverty right now. But Jordan had his flu game. This will be my blue game. We're going to make it work tonight because we have way too much to talk about to cancel the show over a t-shirt. College football is basically changing right underneath your feet, and we're here to discuss it all. We're jam-packed, high atop a stormy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. College football is going to be all right, and the way I know it's going to be all right is because it has to be. I'm going to give you one very, very important point that you need to keep in mind as everything seems doomed to basically become a mini version of the NFL. Don't quite think that's where we're going. We'll talk about that tonight. There are a ton of big recruiting moves happening. We were out in at the Elite 11 in LA this past week. I'm going to have some things to say about that on the back end of the show, but also just some huge recruiting moves happening. Bama's about to move. Miami already has moved. Texas, even in the last hour, has added another big commitment. That's like, I don't know, 97 kids who have added on to the Longhorn class since Arch Manning committed. Bold Predictions enters Chapter 21 tonight, we will discuss. And as I said, I'm going to give you some behind-the-scenes stuff and some of my takeaways from Elite 11. They're watching us in Williamsburg, Virginia tonight. They're watching in Lamar's, Iowa, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. we got a birthday being celebrated, or so I'm told, in Holly Springs, Georgia. But imagine your channel not having 100,000 subs, because that couldn't be us anymore. I did not expect you guys to make the channel hit 100,000 subs as we were live in L.A. Somehow, even though we built up to it for two months, I was taken off guard. And so we didn't really properly celebrate the other night, uh, but management, as it turns out, was very, very much behind the promises they made. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and we're going to talk about it a lot more on the back end of the show. There is not one major announcement coming on the show. I would say there are more like four or five major announcements, and so I'm going to fill you in on the back half of the show, really the back end of the show, because uh, we got some more pressing issues to talk about. But man, 100,000 subs, I guess next up for us is a million. Uh, That's when YouTube sends us our next fancy piece of hardware. We got one coming in the mail already. So thank you so much for that. Let's dive into this thing tonight and try and feel better about the future of this sport you and I love so much. As we were out in LA, conference realignment just drops on top of our head like an asteroid. And I'm going to make some sense of it because I've had a few days to think about this and talk to a lot of very, very informed people on this matter. I know a lot of you are worried about the future of our sport. I know a lot of you are confused. A lot of you have probably been living your lives, and then all of a sudden you see this and you say, all these fancy words, some of them I've never even heard before. Teams in LA are going to play a team in West Lafayette, Indiana in conference play? Well, yes, it's not the end of the world. It's different. It's a different world. It's not the end of the world. I tell you guys sometimes, 
just to reiterate, you're not wasting your time when you watch this show. It's nice to have some shows that are fun and there are a lot of hijinks and whatnot. It's not the kind of show we do. We have fun, but I like for there to be a lot of meat on the bone in our shows. And a lot of times what happens is we say stuff and it just gets lost to history. And this is a perfect example. And I wanted to pull a couple of clips. I had director Colin and producer Jesse working on this. A couple of things that I want to use to tee up tonight. We normally don't play these sound bites, but I think these two are really important. The first one is from August 24th, 2021. So a little less than a year ago. That's when, who was it? It was the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12. They had come out and they had announced, we have formed an alliance. And at the time, most of you thought it was laughable. But let me remind you what we said. Let's roll clip one. Fresh from the mouth of the Pac-12 commissioner. There is no signed contract. There's an agreement among three gentlemen and a commitment from 41 presidents, chancellors, and 41 athletic directors to do what we say we're going to do. I, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. I do know this. Director Colin and I went into our building yesterday, and Colin, correct me if I'm wrong, we had to fill out three different forms to get in the building. These guys just entered into what appears to be a multi-conference alliance that requires dozens and dozens and dozens of people to be on the same page, some of whom disagreed on, oh, I don't know, if we should play football or not last year, and they essentially just slapped each other on the back, shook hands, and said, all right, let's go to lunch. We're done for the day. You hate to see it. You really do. So as a mushroom cloud plumes over the now defunct alliance, which uh, lived to be less than a year old, as it turns out, that was not the hardest thing in the world to see coming. I'll grant you that. Most people laughed at the concept of a handshake agreement amongst people who couldn't even agree on the most basic principles of college football to begin with. But there was this other thing that was happening right around a year ago today. In fact, a year ago to the day. When this stuff broke the other day, July 1st, 2021, we had a segment on Late Kick and we got mocked for it. And I know that I'm typically not one to hold a grudge, but I wrote down some names and I wrote down some dates and I kept them in my back pocket. You're not wasting your time watching the show. When I talk about this sort of stuff, it's not because I myself am informed. I've never brokered a deal between conferences and television networks, but I do talk to people who do it. And at the time, we were being told some very specific things behind the scenes. I shared them on the show. This is from July 1st, 2021. The super conference illusion is that there's enough to go around where we form four super conferences out there. There aren't enough quality programs to go around. You have seen what's happened. You have seen who has it and who doesn't. And even in the Big 12, you're just taking two teams out of that conference. We're talking about the Big 12 possessing so little remaining juice that they either got to poach themselves or they just implode in on themselves. There aren't enough brands out there to formulate four legitimate super conferences. I'm telling you right now, I don't think there are enough big brands out there to formulate three super conferences. And so ask yourself this, because your answer may be yes. If it is, we just differ. Are you comfortable with a future of college football existing where you just have the SEC and I would guess an entity like the Big Ten and it really becomes a lot synonymous with what the NFC and the AFC are. And you've done so at the expense of many a program. Are. Here we are. Yes. Uh, so that is very much the track that college football has taken and is in the process of taking. Now, I'm going to give you a little bullet point here. And I want you to tuck this away in the back of your mind because I'm going to repeat it, I would say, probably in about eight to ten minutes. 
they have to listen to you. You may think your voice is not being heard right now. You may think folks don't care one iota about how you or I feel about the direction of the sport, but I can assure you, friend, they have to listen to you at the end of the day. Keep that in mind, and then let's dive into this for just a second, because I know a lot of this sounds complicated. I know you have heard a lot of legalese and a lot of grant of rights and how much it costs to get out of this and how much it costs to go over there and who's going to poach who. I know a lot of this stuff sounds complicated. It's really the most basic as it can possibly be. You just have to understand how to decipher the nomenclature. Even that word is something I have no business using. Here's college football in a nutshell. On the field, it's the greatest game in the world. Off the field, it's a lot of people in suits, no different than politicians, whose core talent is to get elected or to elevate bureaucratically. And when they get to where they want to go, they realize we need to make this stuff sound complicated. That's what politics is all the time. That's what college football has become. All it is, guys, is the most basic transactional elements of your life and my life cloaked in a lot more fancy language. So when you hear this language this week and all these contractual terms and it sounds complicated, it's really not at all. It's no different than politicians creating their own language so they can trick you into thinking that they're operating on a higher intellectual plane and you need to just elect them and send them off to Washington. They'll take care of all of it. Just give it to us. Let me take it out of your hands. It's kind of the same thing here. The weakest take that I have heard all week, let's dive in a little bit because I know you've heard this and I think some of you may have said this, it's just weak. It's not reality. So a lot of people were of the opinion, as soon as this news broke with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, that this would never have happened if the playoff had expanded. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's a matter of opinion, and sometimes you're just wrong. And if you think that, you're just wrong. I've been wrong before. You're wrong if you think that. The playoff is almost happening in a different lane than this stuff. And if you believe that they're joined at the hip, you need to consider how clunky this entire timeline has been. Like the same guys are in the room talking about the playoff as the ones in the room talking about conference realignment and conference expansion. Does it really seem like this has been well orchestrated? Does it really seem like the power players have had these on converging timelines? Absolutely not. In fact, that's part of the reason why this last deal kind of fell flat up there at National Championship Monday in Indianapolis. Remember when the headlines that morning from the, uh, the assembled gaggle of college football media there was so depressed. Oh man, we don't get our expanded college football playoff. Uh, how messy did that seem? This has not been orchestrated with any kind of neatness whatsoever, but the playoff had little, if anything, to do with this. As I tweeted out yesterday, I'll repeat it for those of you who don't follow on Twitter, at Lake Kick Josh, though I would suggest you do. To assume that expanding the college football playoff would have alleviated the need to realign conferences is to assume that a school like USC would stay on the West Coast and watch a program like Rutgers cash 50 million more dollars per year in media rights and be fine with it because, oh, the Pac-12 has an auto bid to the playoff now. How foolish is that? That's really what people believe. How foolish, it's, it's, that's not even reality. That's not the way this was working. It's not the way it is working. This is about acquiring assets. That's exactly what it's about, but not at the conference level. That's where the big trick is. That's kind of where the illusionary bait and switch is right now. You've heard me talk about this for a couple of months, and some of you have been shrewd enough to pick up on something I've hinted at that we can just talk about now. I have said for quite a while, 
whether it be playoff expansion or whether it be conference realignment, that when the next round of that happens, it's going to be obviously university presidents and conference commissioners, but television executives whose names you probably don't know are going to have a huge role in this next round. And I kept on reiterating that. I kept on emphasizing TV executives. And some of you finally started to ask, hey, why do you keep saying that? Well, this is why I kept saying it. ESPN and Disney, about two years ago, announced that they were acquiring the SEC starting in 2024 and beyond, the media rights to the SEC, for about $3 billion. Why did they do that? Why would Disney ESPN shell out that kind of money for the SEC's college football product? Well, the reason is because it is that valuable. And the reason it's valuable is because in the era of streaming network wars, what people have found out even in 2022 is your habits, the American consumer's habits, are still pretty unpredictable and hard to figure out, except in one avenue. Everybody, everybody is watching live sports, or at least so it seems. Those are the only fail-safes. Those are the only foolproof. That's not any kind of major breaking news. I think people have gotten for a long time sports are popular. But here's where the disconnect is right now. The disconnect has been in thinking that evil Greg Sankey in Birmingham and whoever you want to attribute this latest move to, some people are attributing it to Kevin Warren in the Big Ten. I happen to think there may be some other power players behind the scenes. But uh, for the sake of argument, let's just say Kevin Warren. Evil Kevin Warren in the Big Ten and evil Greg Sankey in the SEC. They, those, those money-hungry you-know-whats, are going and grabbing all the properties out there that they can in college football. Guys, that's not what's happening. The SEC did not acquire Oklahoma and Texas. Disney ESPN acquired Oklahoma and Texas through the SEC. No different than Netflix buying the rights to one of your favorite TV shows from a production company. It's just dressed up a little different and you don't look at it the same way. But make no mistake, when I've been talking to you about these media rights deals for the Big Ten and we've been waiting for about a month, month and a half, and I've been hinting at that as well, as it turns out, there was a really good reason why that news hadn't broken. And it hadn't broken because the Big Ten knew they were about to add some precious inventory. So the Big Ten may look like they just acquired USC and UCLA. Big Ten didn't acquire anything. Their future major TV partner, whether it be Fox or CBS or whoever it's going to be, that's who acquired it. It's just a different lens with which you need to look through, but that's how you make sense of all this. And it's also how you know just as well as I do, once you learn to look at it through that lens, that we're not done. There are more moves coming, very obviously. There are a lot of questions and a lot of legal matters that need to be um, dealt with in terms of like grant of rights deals and whatnot, and that's kind of boring to even talk about. I think those hurdles will be overcome, and eventually I think one or both of these conferences will end up expanding a little bit more. But that is kind of stuff that you've already been observing. What I've been asked a lot, and what I want to talk about for a couple of minutes here, is how it makes me feel, because I know how it makes a lot of you guys feel. I've spoken to, I don't know how many dozen of you through DMs, maybe hundreds of you. A lot of you are not happy at all about the direction of college football. And I'd be lying to you if I said I was thrilled at the news when we woke up, what was it, Wednesday morning or Thursday morning in LA. No, I mean, I didn't, I didn't turn cartwheels over that. You know my stance on this stuff. I'd love to just hit the pause button in certain aspects of society, this being one of them, and maintain the territoriality and the regionality. I love that Southern football is different than West Coast football is different than Midwest football. I love that because it is one of the distinguishing attributes 
that our sport has always had on Saturday that set it apart from the Sunday game. And I, I know a lot of you rightfully, I think, are looking at the latest moves and you're saying, how is this not just nationalization of college football? Not in the economic sense, but more in the structural sense. I mean, we've got teams in California, teams in Pennsylvania. You're telling me that's all one conference? What are we doing right now? I get your frustration. I share your frustration. But when you ask me, will I still love college football? It's a no-brainer. Absolutely. I'll still love college football. I don't have to like all the moves that are made in this sport. But it's kind of like I've told you before, you know, I think there are probably some products you have in your house that you really don't want to know the backstory on. You see that sticker that says made in whatever country. I don't think a lot of you want to know exactly what made in whatever country means all the time. You just know you buy the product and you like the product. I have chosen to look at college football the same way lately. Uh, there may be a lot about NIL you don't like. There may be a lot about the transfer portal you don't like. Certainly there may be a lot most recently about conference realignment you don't like. Here's my question. When it is Texas versus OU, or let's say in the future, when it's USC versus Iowa, and it's 17 to 14, early fourth quarter, and there's a key third down, will you be less into it? Will your heart be less into it on that play? My answer is no. My answer, at least in the short to midterm, is I'll be every bit on pins and needles then as I would have been in 2008 or 1994, because that's just where my mind's at. Now, if you're worried about the future, I understand that. I want to draw you right back to the sentence I told you to keep in mind. You remember, probably about 10 minutes ago, I told you they'll eventually have to listen to you. The dollar figures being thrown around right now are being thrown around because networks believe that these properties are worth it. ESPN Disney believes the SEC is worth $3 billion over 10 years. The Big Ten's about to get a huge financial windfall, so much so that after the news broke the other day, entities like Apple TV asked to get back in the bidding for a media rights package that they had bowed out of. So I think it may be a little more delay than we thought it would be to find out uh, the Big Ten deal. But anyway, I'm telling you, your voice is eventually going to be heard. It's the same way with Netflix right now. It's the same way with Amazon. It's the same way with Hulu. A lot of those streaming giants are finding out that your interests matter. For, for a little while, people looked at the streaming bubble and unlike every other bubble in the history of mankind, thought, oh, that one's not going to pop. This is just going to inflate forever. No, that's not the case at all. The market got saturated and it will only become more saturated. And it turns out you can't just put any chunk of crap in front of people on your streaming network when they have options and have them watch. College football is no different, guys. You grew up loving it. I grew up loving it. And that's the reason it's as popular as it is right now. But the qualities about a product that bring people in mass to love it have to remain or the people end up walking away. And if you think for one second that they're shelling out the kind of money that they are to then not really worry about what the quality of the product is after they've signed on the dotted line, you're kidding yourself. This is not like your flood-damaged car that you're trying to fleece someone into buying, and then once they sign, you go, got them, sucker, not my problem anymore. No, it very much is Fox's problem or CBS's problem or ESPN's problem if they have a product that has diminishing value because you have diminishing interests. So you may feel like you're not heard right now, but the most powerful voice in this equation has been and always will be your remote control 
or whatever you want to call it in the future. And if you choose to go elsewhere, and if enough of you choose to go elsewhere, they'll listen. I'll give you this little cherry on top and we'll move on here. I know right now it feels like college football is taking a more national approach, and it is, but virtually everyone who loves our game loves the territorial nature of it. Everyone loves the geographical nature of it. I don't know any kid that I grew up with, I don't know any adult I know now that grew up saying, you know what I hate? I hate regional rivalries. You know, I, re I really hate that there are these specific pockets of the country that are totally unique under other pockets of the country. Every college football fan loves that. And if you didn't love it, you just go watch the NFL. A lot of us watch both. But the thing we love about the Saturday game is the regionality. For a little while, certainly I think it's inevitable we're headed to that two super conference model. But people won't forget the regionality and what they came to love. So what's going to happen is a little bit of a recalibration here. This is my personal feel. A little bit of a recalibration period, and you've got a massive SEC. You've got a massive Big Ten. But in time, once we figure out what the landscape is, if we are even adopting an NFL model, an NFC-AFC model, that's not the way the NFL is structured. The NFL is structured with two conferences, sure enough, but there are divisions within those conferences. Ironically, I think where we may end up heading is a situation where you got two major conferences, but then, lo and behold, five or six years down the road, seven years down the road, you divvy things right back up and you distribute teams into pods or divisions or whatever you want to call them right back up and you get that territoriality back. It's just a different group of teams. So we've filtered out the haves and the have-nots. Is that unfortunate? Yes, it is. I don't like that aspect at all. But there are certain parts of this that I've come to understand I'm just going to have to accept. So what we can control is that remote control. They'll have to listen to you eventually. Maybe not immediately, but they will have to listen to you eventually. I think the sport's going to be fine. I don't think it's end of the world, let's just go throw babies off the tallest building. I don't think it's that time at all. There will be an adjustment period. I think we'll be okay. As you can see, I am naked. Not literally, but as far as this show goes, I am. If I had the good sense to check my book bag before I came into the studio today, I would have realized that I didn't have my white tee. Now you may be asking yourself, don't you have an emergency white t-shirt at the office? Answer, I did. But then Arch Manning decided to drop his commitment on an off day for me. And so I had to come into the studio with nine minutes heads up. And I burned the white tee that day and took it home with me. And now I have no emergency white tee. Long story short, I wish there were an Academy Sports and Outdoors downtown in Nashville. Because that would have, alleviate, it would have alleviated to me the biggest problem that we could have. We could do a show without the lights. I could just turn the, the flashlight app on on the iJosh. But the white tee, they don't make an app for that. They got a store for it, though. Academy Sports and Outdoors. I know they'd have my hookup. Academy uh, had a really good meeting with them this week. Academy is our only partner. I had to break the news to a potential partner this week that, sorry, uh, we were going to be happy to just remain with Academy. Yes, actually, we left money on the table this week. Why? Uh, we don't need it because Academy Sports and Outdoors takes care of us as a show. As for you, they take care of all of your outdoor sporting goods needs. I know a lot of you are about to be outdoors tomorrow, July 4th tomorrow. If you haven't already, head to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And just in the longer term, if you guys can't get there, go to academy.com. I go all over the country every week in the fall, and sometimes I'll go to places and they say, hey, I don't have an academy in my backyard. You got a computer, though. You got a cell phone there. It's got internet on it. Academy.com for all of your outdoor sporting goods needs. 
and your grill needs and, and every need possibly under the sun except for, I don't know, your, your medications. And who knows? Maybe one day they'll have that as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bold predictions are back. We had to table this for the time being the other day because we had to restructure our entire show on Thursday. But bold predictions are back. Bold Predictions Chapter 21, the things that you believe in so much you claim you would bet your own money on. I got some tonight that I think I would bet right along with you guys. Let's start with this one. In the Big Ten, from Knoxville, Tennessee, though, first prediction, if Purdue beats Penn State to open the season, they will end the season with 10-plus wins, including the bowl game. This is where schedule matters, and it matters a ton. Now, Penn State and Purdue play on a Thursday night to start the season. Penn State, obviously a big year for them. Purdue fancies themselves as a Big Ten West contender. Ten-plus wins, though. You may be thinking, Purdue doesn't win ten games. Well, they won nine last year. They've got the same quarterback back in Aiden O'Connell they had last year. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what they don't have back in a second. This is a seven on the boldness scale. Now, their over-under win total is seven, but keep in mind what the prediction said. They have a win in week one. So if they're 1-0 after Penn State, I mean, Penn State is one of, if not the toughest games on their schedule. They're only a three-point dog in that game. Three, three and a half, depending on where you look. They've got one of the Big Ten's easiest schedules. Look at that thing. Their out-of-conference games are Syracuse, Indiana State, and FAU. And then their road games are at Minnesota, at Maryland, at Wisconsin, at Illinois. You notice what you don't see here. You don't see Michigan. You don't see Ohio State. It's very, very favorable. They end the season with a three-game stretch of at Illinois, Northwestern, and at Indiana. So this is doable. Here is the potential problem or pair of problems. A lot of folks are looking at Aiden O'Connell returning at quarterback, and they are not really realizing, okay, you got your quarterback back, but you lose a couple of dynamic pass-catching threats, and you also don't have a run game to speak of. You didn't last year. It's going to have to drastically improve this year. What I worry about is an offense that seems a little bit more hollow this year. That's what I'd worry about. Now, around Purdue, they tell you, don't you worry. We got some wide receivers you don't know the names of yet, but you soon will. So that's why I don't think this is anything more than a seven on the boldness scale. I think they very well could do that. That's including the bowl game, just one more win than they had last year. Next up, I've got SC written down, but it's South Carolina. Uh, Ruben said, here's a bold prediction for you, and it pains me to say it, but I'm willing to bet my South Carolina Gamecocks win fewer games this year than they did last year. I should be optimistic, but I'm not from Rock Hill, South Carolina former home of Jadavian Clowney. They went 7-5 and five last year. So the prediction is they're going to be worse than that record-wise this year. I made this a 7 because there's a great battle in my mind 
One is I think they'll be a better team this year than they were last year. I also know that that schedule does them no favors, and I could just take last year's team, have them play this year's schedule, and for all I know, last year's team wouldn't be as good record-wise. There were some close games there. So I'm making this a seven. I'm going to err on the side of this is a better team, therefore I expect a little bit better record or better performance. They are 71% returning production. I think that's in the mid-30s in Bill Connolly's ratings. But if we're talking about them winning less games than last year, take a look at the schedule here. They play Georgia State, Charlotte. Those two are wins. I'm going to chalk those up as wins, and if they're not, we got very, very big problems. South Carolina State, I'm going to call that a win. So we got three wins there. So we're looking down the rest of the schedule, and I'm asking myself essentially, hmm, do I see them winning three games or less the remainder of the way? And the games we're talking about, to just read them off right quick, uh, they go to Arkansas, they got Georgia at home, they at Kentucky, Texas A&M, Missouri, at Vandy, at Florida, Tennessee, at Clemson. I probably could chalk the Vanderbilt game up as a win. Could argumentatively do that. I just think they're going to find a way there. They overachieved last year record-wise. I think they will slightly overachieve record-wise again this year. Jesse, is their total seven? I think their over-under win total is around seven or six, somewhere like that. So it's at seven, okay? So I'm telling you at least seven and five gets them where they were last year, which shoots down this prediction. So I'm saying it's a seven on the boldness scale that they are worse record-wise than they were last year. Now you want to see someone fall off a cliff. Take a look at this next prediction. We stay in the SEC. Here's a prediction for you. LSU goes four and eight. They finish last in the SEC West. Yeesh. Okay, four and eight. This, this obviously spells disaster. Uh, this is an eight and a half on the boldness scale. I'm going to tell you why. It's not that I think Brian Kelly's LSU may be immune to struggle in year one. Quite the opposite. I think there will be some growing pains down there. But to have a 4-8 and eight disaster, you have to be inept at quarterback. You have to have quarterback go south for you. And if you had one guy you were leaning on and you had no depth in the room, you may be vulnerable to that. That's not LSU, though. One of the stronger points on LSU's team is they have depth and quality in the quarterback room. They don't have a Heisman winner in there, but they don't have tomato cans in there either. So it could be Garrett Nussmeyer, could be Jaden Daniels, could be Miles Brennan. Point being. One of those guys at least will pan out, and this could even be a team that could lose their starting quarterback to injury or whatnot and still be plenty good enough to be better than 4-8. and eight. So they're not prone at quarterback. They play Southern and New Mexico, and I'm going to chalk both of those up as wins. So you're looking at the rest of the schedule telling me they're going 2-10 and 10 or 2-8 and eight the rest of the way, and I'm not sure about that. They got Mississippi State at home. They go to Auburn. Uh, they got Tennessee at home. Ole Miss has to go down there. UAB comes in there. There's just, I'm sorry, there are more than two wins the rest of the way on that schedule. So that's an eight and a half on the boldness scale. Next up, this one does not involve numbers, so we get to get a little bit more creative with this one. Uh, Mark said, greetings from Flint, Michigan. Greetings, Mark. I have a feeling Notre Dame fans are going to have regrets about letting Brian Kelly get away. That's my bold prediction. Well, did they let him get away? I guess there's an argument that could be made that's the way it went down. As far as I remember it, Notre Dame was pretty surprised when Brian Kelly left. So it's not like they, he walked up to them and said, I'm going to leave if you don't give me a thumbs up. And they just thumbs down. That's not the way that went down. Having said that, okay, I could 
I can see what world you're living in here. Still, I'm going to make this a seven. I think it's kind of bold to suggest in year one under Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame fans, just the average Notre Dame fan, is going to have regret about Brian Kelly walking away. And I'm high on Brian Kelly, so it's not even that. It's just, you know where Notre Dame's recruiting class is ranked right now? You don't have to look far. They're ranked number one. More on that in a second. We're going to talk about recruiting a little bit later on. Recruiting is what it's about this year. So absent a disaster season, and for Notre Dame, I would say eight wins or less this year. If, if Marcus Freeman's nine and three or better, and they're in the top five or top six recruiting, like I'll, I'll even give them room to fall off a little bit. If they're that high ranked in recruiting, that's what people are going to look at. They're going to say, okay, year one was whatever. He had to get his feet under him, but look at what we got coming, including at pretty much every position they need. Look at what we got coming. So that's part A. Part B is this kind of heavily depends on what Brian Kelly's doing. Because if Brian Kelly's down there struggling to win seven games, struggling to make a bowl, uh, then hey, Marcus Freeman could struggle too. I don't think anyone's looking around in South Bend and saying, boy, I wish we had that guy down there that is barely making a bowl game back. Now, if Brian Kelly's winning 10 games and Marcus Freeman struggles, maybe a little bit different. But uh, keep in mind, that LSU win total is down where it is at seven for a reason. So chances are Brian Kelly does have a struggle or two this year. Chances are Marcus Freeman does have a better record, and chances certainly are that Notre Dame ends up having a really, really good recruiting class, better than any they had under Brian Kelly. So I think it's pretty bold to say that. Last one, a guy we have not talked about in quite a while. Allen said there is no way Herm Edwards at Arizona State survives the year in Tempe. Bold prediction, he is fired before the end of the season. I think this is a three. It's not bold at all. Surprise it hasn't already happened. This has nothing to do with record this year. I don't think they're going to be particularly good. Their roster has been gutted by, well, attrition via the portal because a lot of people didn't want to hang around there anymore. A lot of their staff is gone. Herm's pretty much the only one still there. I just don't have any idea how this ends well. I guess the only question would be if they're, you know, if they're average to above average this year on the field, is it a situation where the administration just lets him finish the season? Because I, I think that the end of the story has already been written. I think the last chapter's been written. And kind of strangely, they're filling in the second, third, and fourth to last chapters, doing whatever in the world it is they're doing off the field out there right now. I, I think they're going to pull the trigger before the end of the season. I personally feel that way. It's no guided intelligence there. It's just my gut feel. And so I would say that's not bold at all. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's fairly likely that there are moves there before the end of the season. So not actually, if you think about it, the boldest bold prediction segment we've ever had. There were no nines. There were no tens. Yes, that means we agree. They're watching us in Mineral Wells, Texas tonight, Logan, Utah, and our friends, our dear friends in Los Angeles, California. <sighs> what a week there. We landed in Burbank. It was 96 degrees. We drove about 15 minutes to our hotel, and it was 72 degrees. Microclimate. We don't have them in Harris County. They do have them in Southern California. Great time. Ended up freezing night one. Had to buy a Lululemon jacket. And if you've never shopped at Lululemon with Steve Wiltfong, let me tell you, you are missing out, as it turns out. Never would have believed it about myself, but there I was. Uh, speaking of Wiltfong, a lot of, lot of big news in the world of recruiting. And let me slap myself on the wrist because we just have not covered it enough. And it's that time of year. You see, the recruiting calendar, Colin, we'll leave this part out. The recruiting calendar has adjusted so much. This last week in June, which we just passed, and I'm going to talk about it in a second, it is prime territory for one of the most hardcore commitment seasons that we have now. 
I know that 10 years ago it wasn't this way. The college football calendar has changed. It is this way now. Colin, here's your end point. Big time recruiting scoop, intel, news, etc., breaking all over the place. I want to start in Miami because it was about two weeks ago. I took some flack for suggesting that Miami recruiting was going to be hot. It was going to be a good cycle for them, and I wasn't worried they were ranked in the 30s. And well, now here they are. They've got two Elite 11 quarterbacks committed to them. Jaden Rashada, the most recent commit since the last time you and I spoke, uh, but also Emory Williams committed to them. I'm going to talk about Williams a little bit later on. I spent some time with him this week. But they are, they've added a handful of offensive commitments after Jaden Rashada. A four-star tight end, four-star wide receiver, a four-star athlete. But their biggest fish are still out there. And I think they're going to end up on the right side of this for a number of guys. They've got the number 14 class in the country right now. They've got the number two class in the ACC. Again, I don't want to get caught up on class rankings at the moment. Unless it's, you know, I mean, if you've got the number one rated class this deep, then Notre Dame, for example, probably going to be okay. They're probably going to be rated top 10. But Miami is surging right now. They are one of 15 classes with an average player rating of 90 or above. That's one of the critical factors. Anytime I talk to Wilt Fong, he always wants to say, forget about the class rating this time of year. Show me the average player rating. That's what matters. We're going to talk about Bama in a second. They're nowhere to be found in the top 15. They're right there at number one when it comes to average player rating. Miami is making a move the same way that anyone with half a brain about the way that Mario Cristobal goes about things knew they were going to do. It's just getting started there. So I said when he got there, when Cristobal got there, I thought they were, I thought they were going to contend safely for a top 10 class. I went as far as to say top five class. Things have to shake out just right for you there. Let's keep an eye on Miami. Number 14 right now, I still think they're going to push in the end to be in that territory. So bookmark Miami. Texas. You know what? Let's fan ourselves for a second in honor of Texas. Remember Arch Manning on June 23rd, he committed. And everybody, everybody in the country had an opinion on that. And then you had an opinion on whether Texas was back. And then you had an opinion on whether Arch Manning was overhyped. I laughed in this microphone when anyone claimed that Arch Manning was overhyped. And here's why. Paper popping time. I'm going to read a list of names here. You tell me what they have in common. Five-star wide receiver Jahante Cook. Five-star safety Derek Williams. Four-star offensive lineman Jaden Chapman. Four-star wide receiver Jonah Wilson. Four-star linebacker Leona Leifau. I probably wrote the name wrong. No, I didn't. Uh, Four-star defensive lineman, Sadir Mitchell, just in the past hour or so. Uh, what do those names have in common? I'm going to tell you, friends. They've all committed since Arch Manning's commitment. So, let's just say, for the sake of argument, Arch Manning never plays down in Austin, Texas. Let's just say he's a total bust, which I don't think he will be, even if he was. You know why he's not overhyped? Because you got all those names that committed right afterwards for a very specific reason. They want to play with him. That's the kind of domino he always was going to be. If he would have committed to Georgia, the same thing would be happening at Georgia. That's why such a big deal was made. I know the casuals made a big deal because his last name's Manning. I made a big deal about it because I knew Texas recruiting was about to take off like a rocket ship. And it is. They finished top five last cycle, really good line of scrimmage recruiting. They are probably going to flirt with or finish inside the top five again this cycle. They got the number one quarterback in the class to go along with it. And they're currently sitting, I think, at number three. And that's before the last commitment. I don't, yeah, they're still number three there. Uh, still a ways to go for Texas, too. So exciting times in Austin. As we always say, a top recruiting ranking is not a guarantee of anything. 
But being outside of that conversation is a guarantee of what you won't achieve in all likelihood. What about LSU? I don't see LSU in the top 10 there. I don't see LSU in the top 20. I don't see LSU in the top 30. So is it time to panic? Uh, probably not. They're going to probably have a flurry of commitments this week. I'd keep an eye out tomorrow. But I think several commitments are coming for LSU. They just picked one up today. Uh, Joshua Mickens, the four-star edge guy. I think he's out of Indiana, I, I want to say. LSU is going to be okay. It's probably not going to be a top five class. They're going to be okay here. They're ranked 37th right now. A, a vast majority of their moves are still to be made. Now, if you look at Brian Kelly and you look at his first few months on the job at LSU, I think there are similarities between what Billy Napier is dealing with in Gainesville at Florida. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, to just step into a lane where everyone's going 110 miles an hour. That's even if you got a fast car. It just takes some adjustment. It's like drinking water out of a fire hose. That's what Brian Kelly's dealing with right now. That's what his staff is dealing with right now. Now, the good news is they do have a fast car there. So they'll eventually get up to speed, and LSU will be okay. Uh, Cooper Patagna, a.k.a. Cooper Patania, according to some, I was talking about this earlier today, about LSU taking a more national approach to recruiting. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that's exactly what Brian Kelly wants to do. Ultimately, the LSU roster will be built with Louisiana prospects, but I think there will be a healthy, here's a word for July, smattering of national talent there. And there probably will have to be a little bit more this cycle than there will in coming cycles. But I, I think this week, you know, see me next Sunday and let's have a different conversation about LSU recruiting. They will not be ranked in the mid-30s come this time next week. The Clemson Tigers have the number four class in America right now. Did you expect this? Did you expect them to be at a 91.84 average player rating? Again, one of only 15 programs at this point above 90 on the average player rating scale. Or did you expect Clemson recruiting to fall off after they lost critical pieces of their staff? Well, here they sit. Steady stream of commitments since the beginning of June. They've had like, I don't know, 13 or 14 of them just in June and July. They're one of four classes with double-digit four-star or higher-rated players. That's pretty elite company. I like their position with guys like Peter Woods. You know, Peter Woods is a five-star kid out of Alabaster, which is just south of Birmingham. Good signs here. I, I don't know what else to say. Very good signs. And I think there was a lot of doubt out there. It's not that it's been rectified because of what a recruiting class looks like in June or July. But it is an early indication and a good early indication that the post-Tony Elliott, post-Brent Venables era there is not going to see Clemson football just plummet off a cliff and crater, you know, several hundred feet below. They may struggle, they may not. This is an early indication. So let's not bet the entire house because of it. Let's not ignore it, though. Clemson's sitting at number four right now. And the last team, just nowhere to be found, Alabama. Alabama's ranked 23rd right now. What are they ranked in the metric that a lot of folks value the most? Average player rating? They're ranked number one. Their average player rating right now is 94.71. Uh, that's getting it done. That's, that's, like, that's your average player being a very high-rated four-star. I texted someone who would know today, and I asked them, if I were to just pick one team out there that's about to get red-hot in recruiting, who's it going to be? They said, Bama. Uh, if you look at the list of kids that will be choosing from Alabama, it would be a lot quicker 
and save you a lot of time to find the four and five star kids, especially the five star kids that don't have Bama on that list. And I'm not just talking about a garden variety list of finalists. I mean ones where they're a serious player. Uh, Bama's going to be right up there again, top five class. It's that time of year where I make my safest bold prediction all year, and that is Alabama's ranked 23rd right now. Alabama will not finish recruiting ranked 23rd. And that humor is lost on some people. So the transcripts of the show go out, and some people criticize me for that. Uh, but Notre Dame, hey, Notre Dame's still number one. Talked about him a second ago. They've added a four-star wide receiver and a four-star corner in the past week. This is a really good class, and this is not early. Now, it's not exactly one week until early signing day, but a majority of this class is locked up. I don't expect them to finish number one. I do expect them to finish very high, though. I expect this to probably be the best class you've seen Notre Dame sign in a decade on paper. I understand how this works on paper. Uh, South Carolina getting some work done. They added a four-star linebacker named Grayson Howard out of Jacksonville. and I, We got him rated four stars. I think that staff at South Carolina probably even views four stars as being a little bit underrated for Grayson Howard. A lot of the neck up stuff, a lot of the off-the-field intangibles that end up impacting on-field play, Grayson Howard is going to be a really, really good one for South Carolina. I think that staff uh, reading the big spur earlier today, I think they were pretty ecstatic to get him. So my vow to you, we will not go this long talking about recruiting or without talking about recruiting again, but I did want to get you updated there. Now to our most popular topic on the show, and I appreciate you guys being tuned in, those of you who are. This is, this is supposed to be the most dead time of year. It's anything but on our, on our channel here. The transfer portal is the most popular topic that we talk about on the show. So I have been having our staff do a lot of digging. Everybody knows the name Caleb Williams. Everybody knows the high-profile names. I want you to know the most important names beyond the surface and just beneath the surface. Some portal names to know. And I'm going to start you in Arkansas with Drew Sanders. Now, you remember the name because he was a five-star linebacker who committed to Alabama. This is not a typical transfer. Arkansas knew that. I want everyone else to know that. Dallas Turner and Will Anderson are the reasons Drew Sanders transferred. Bama's got the two best linebackers in the country this year. It just so happens Drew Sanders plays that position. So Drew Sanders transferred out. This is a future first-round quality linebacker. It has no character concerns. Quite the opposite. He's a high-level character guy. And imagine being Sam Pittman. Imagine being Barry Odom. And you're just sitting around one day and Drew Sanders is in the transfer portal? What happened? Did he lose a bet? Nope. They're just that loaded at Alabama at his position. It probably took about 10 minutes, according to some intel I got. It took about 10 or so minutes into spring practice before that coaching staff looked around and said, well, he's kind of different than the other players we have, isn't he? Drew Sanders, moving him to inside linebacker. Drew Sanders is going to be one of the best players in that division this year. And you'll quickly watch him and realize It'll kind of be like Jamison Williams was at Bama, ironically. You'll watch Jamison Williams last year and you say, wow, that kid transferred because he couldn't get playing time at Ohio State. How loaded must that receiver room be? You'll say the same thing about Bama's linebackers this year. You'll watch Drew Sanders and he'll play it like an all SEC caliber level. And you'll say, how loaded must that linebacker room have been in Alabama? Drew Sanders, very good one. A game-changing talent. Drew Sanders at Arkansas. Aaron Brule, anybody remember that name? He went from MSU to MSU. So he was a linebacker at Mississippi State. He's transferring to Michigan State. And linebacker, it's kind of a strange thing because you look at the defensive numbers for Michigan State last year, and they were pretty poor. 
pass defense was really poor. This linebacker room is kind of secretly loaded, though. They got a lot of depth here. Aaron Brule comes in, though, and he's, he's a former safety in high school. He's 6'1", 230 or so. I think he's the kind of player and has the kind of range and versatility at the linebacker position that Mel Tucker thought they needed. Uh, they liked him in spring ball, so this is not a case unseen sort of thing. They came in, impressed him in spring ball. Uh, they're deep at linebacker now because they've got Brule. Cal Halliday was good for them last year. They brought in uh, Jacoby Winman from UNLV. So they've got some depth there. Secondary is another issue that they hope they have rectified. But uh, Halliday's the kid who had the pick sets in the Peach Bowl to wrap it up. So they got some noteworthy names at linebacker. Aaron Brule, though, I think will be a starter for them. He's a grad transfer from Mississippi State. Uh, another name that used to be familiar down in SEC circles that has gone elsewhere is Jacob Copeland. Jacob Copeland's former four-star receiver, played 39 games at Florida. He's gone off to Maryland now. Now, Maryland is going to be what they are defensively this year, probably going to struggle defensively, but the wide receiver room probably won't get a lot of national attention because of Ohio State. Outside of Ohio State, this is about as good a receiver room as you have in the conference up there. And Jacob Copeland's one reason why, Rakeem Jarrett, is still there. Uh, Dante Demas is still there. These are proven commodities now. So they're going to need to score a lot of points. Taulia Tagovailoa at quarterback up there, going to need some targets, and he's got them to throw to. It probably will be a situation where if you're a Maryland fan, you wake up every Saturday morning going, all right, let's go score 40 and hope for the best. That's the bad news. The good news is the offense looks perfectly equipped and capable of doing that. Turnovers were a big issue last year. They've got to cut down on those. Uh, but Jacob Copeland is probably going to be a guy who plays a big part in Maryland's effort to improve record-wise, but also even if, even if they don't put up a record that's anything to write home about, Maryland will be a team that just on any given Saturday is capable of doing the cattle prod to the neck because of the offensive firepower that they're going to have. Jacob Copeland is part of that. Kanata Mumpfield is another receiver I need you to know about. He is headed to Pitt by way of Akron. Think back a few months with me. What have been the two big headlines out of Pitt? This is the defending, well, not defending, scratch that. This is the ACC champion from last year. I'm told you can't take it away from them, so they're not defending it. You have heard headline number one, ooh, Keaton Slovis transferring to Pitt. So Kenny Pickett goes to the NFL. Here comes Keaton Slovis. Plug and play, baby. We'll see if it's that easy. But that's been the first headline you've heard. The second headline as Slovis came in from USC to Pitt, is Jordan Addison, their best receiver, going from Pitt to USC. And you didn't hear a lot about Kanata Mumfield, did you? Well, he's a guy, and he was there before Addison left, I believe I have my timeline right on that. He is a receiver that last year um, put up some pretty good numbers. They got Jared Wayne there already. Uh, he had 47 for 658 last year. Mumfield was a freshman All-American at Akron last year. Uh, 61 catches, 750 yards, eight touchdowns. Those are guys in the aggregate that have to make up the productivity that's being left behind and that void left by Jordan Addison. It's, it's not an option. They have to be able to do that. And uh, that, Mumfield, really, I could have picked either one of them, but Mumfield is a guy who could very well decide the ACC. Like, think about how important that kind of player is. Uh, that's that's kind of like... Some of these names that we've talked about, guys that aren't going to be on the cover of preview magazines, uh, but they're going to be very, very important role players. So those are four more names. We're not done with that. We're going to talk about several more names because what I don't want, uh, the, the, probably the worst insult we could ever have, is a viewer or a listener of our show is standing at the water cooler at work 
Monday morning and some dude cost you money Saturday and you had no clue where he came from. I didn't even know they had that kid. Where did Mumfield come from? I didn't think Pitt had good receivers this year. I don't want that to be you. If you're losing money, I want it to be because you ignored the Ramen Noodle Express. Not because we did not have you informed. You're not wasting your time here. These are names you need to know about. Uh, let's move on here. So we, as you know, thank you for watching live. Continue to say, here you go, hey, in the live chat, just so you know it's live. We were out in Los Angeles for the Elite 11. Phenomenal trip. Made several terrible decisions. None of them were alcohol-related. A lot of them were food-related, and I'm in the process of working those bad decisions off in the YMCA every day. But what you need to know is some stuff from behind the scenes. Don't you always want to know? We had the best quarterbacks out there, and one of you asked, which quarterback surprised you at this year's Elite 11? We need to know who the next guy is. Well, I'm going to give you some names here, and I'm going to give you a little behind the scenes. We got to hang out with all these guys. We interviewed all 20 quarterbacks there, so spent a lot of time with them, met some family members, met a lot of moms and dads. The first one I want to talk to you about is the kid who won the Elite 11 MVP, and that's Jackson Arnold. Jackson Arnold is the Oklahoma commit, and when he came in there on day one, soft-spoken, humble, but confident, and when he walked out of there, still soft-spoken, humble, but confident, the difference is he had some hardware to take with him. Nico Iamaliava was not there. Arch Manning was not there. My big takeaway from that is I don't care who's not there. I care who showed up and who's about to steal that spotlight. It was Jackson Arnold. And when Jackson Arnold walked in there, I started listening to our recruiting guys and some of the Elite 11 coaches, and a lot of folks whispered about him. This was my observation. A lot of folks whispered, you know, that Arnold kid, if you want a sleeper, watch out for him. But they didn't whisper much longer. The whispers turned to regular voice, turned to like megaphone shouts by the end of the week. Uh, he, in a lot of ways, he stole the show out there. It wasn't head and shoulders because you're talking about some other really good players. But, you know, he, he, I was talking to him on day two. He said, I came in here yesterday and I thought I could compete. Now I think I can win it. And sure enough, he went on to win it. Also a really, really good recruiter for Oklahoma. I think that's a guy that, that Brent Venables and his staff out there can be very comfortable with when it comes to selling their program. Also, uh, he comes from Georgia just like I did. I told him the unfortunate story. Me, you know, a, a West Central Georgia kid, first time I went out to L.A., they took me down to what I called Rodeo Drive. This is a true story. It's so sad. I'm riding around ro Rodeo Drive. I'm texting my buddies, telling them on Rodeo Drive. And finally, hours into my trip, someone leans into my ear and says, hey, it's, um, it's Rodeo Drive. Shut up. And then I knew. And I've never felt so exposed in my life. Well, I asked him, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, me and the fam are staying out here. We're going down to Rodeo Drive. He already had a leg up on me there. And he happens to be able to throw a football about a million yards. Next kid I want to talk about is Emery Williams. Emery Williams is one of two Elite 11 quarterbacks committed to Miami. The other is Jaden Rashada. Didn't spend as much time with Rashada. Spent some time with Emery Williams. The first day we were there, there were... I can't go into a lot of detail, but there are some mental and spatial recognition drills they put these guys through. Fascinating stuff. I got to sit in on Emory Williams' drills, and I watched it. He was a little bit better at it than I would have been. Some, some really cutting-edge mental evaluation techniques. They're like state secrets. I mean, I pretty much had to sign a waiver before I could even walk out that door, but they did give us some behind-the-scenes access on that. And 
you know, I, so we got to talk to him a little bit there. But then when we interviewed all the kids on night two, Emory Williams comes over and some kids just get how to handle themselves in front of a microphone and they get how to sell a program. Now, here's why that's important. Because when you got two quarterbacks of that caliber committed in a class, naturally, the question out there is, ooh, are they both going to stay committed? You know, now that Jaden Rashada has committed to Miami, is Emory Williams going to stay committed? Well, um, next to Mario Cristobal, I've never heard anyone recruit from Miami harder and better than Emory Williams did. At one point, Wilt Fong tees him up, says, what do you like about Miami? And so he looked at Wilt Fong and he started to answer. And it sounded something like this. It sounded like, you know, I love the coaching staff there. You know, I love the environment, but I love where we're going. And it's just like Steve said, if you want to find a place that's going to be next level, it's going to be the next program, it's Miami. He literally said that. He took Wilfong's question and just, he pushed Wilfong out of the way, looked straight at the camera like I'm looking right now, and actually acknowledged Steve. He said, it's kind of like Steve said. I died laughing. I had him cut my microphone for a second. I died laughing. Luckily, I wasn't on camera. Emory Williams is a kid who, I, I, you know, he didn't finish like top one, top two. Feels really well put together, really well spoken, but also like just a good head on his shoulder. That's a kid I'd like to have in my class. Christopher Vizina fits the exact same description for me. That's the Clemson commit. Now, you want to talk about physically being put together. 6'4", about 210, looks like a college player already. If you told me that was a college junior, you told me he had started at Clemson two years and he was draft eligible this year, I would believe that physically about him. But also at Clemson, probably as much as any major program out there, Dabo Swinney and his staff, they always talk about finding fits. They find kids that fit at Clemson. Christopher Vizina fits at Clemson. If you were to just hit the rewind button on Dabo Swinney, but keep everything about his mentality, that's Christopher Vizina. He also happens to be really, really good at playing football. He's got an A-plus arm. One of the best arms I saw there. I, I felt like, you know, night one, Caleb Williams was out there throwing the ball from the 50 and hitting the goalpost. Vizina would have fit very well into that grouping. He is actively recruiting for Clemson, too. So that's a really good kid. I, I got a really, really good feel from him. Uh, but I'll tell you one, selfishly, that I'm going to save for last, because that's where we save the best for. J.J. Cole is a monster. J.J. Cole, uh, Iowa State commit, our Cyclones, if you will. He had more touchdown passes during the 7-on-7 seven -seven portion than anybody else out there. He's listed at 6'6". Six -six. Sometimes when people are listed at a height and you see them, you say, uh, he's not quite as tall as they list him, is he? I don't know what it was. He felt taller than 6'6 six -six to me. He stood over there with me and Wilt Fong, and fortunately, Wilt Fong had to stand right next to him. There's a picture out there floating around in 24-7 circles that unfortunately has Cole in the foreground and Wilt Fong in the background. The angle does him no favors, and nature's already doing him less favors because the kid's like half a foot taller than both of us. Uh, but Wilt Fong looks like a child next to J.J. Cole. I've never had a kid say this before, but I was asking him, you know, what's been the hardest part of transitioning? Like, what do you think the hardest transitional aspect is going to be? He said, I've, I've had to learn or relearn how to use my body. And it's kind of like a giraffe, kind of like watching Bambi on the ice. Can you imagine in high school going from 5'7 to about 6'6? Six, six? He's right. You kind of got to learn to reuse your body. You got to get reacclimated to how the limbs work when you're that big. He is very good. Uh, so much so that he feels like Iowa State to me. He's from, he's from the state of Iowa. I forgot the, the city's name's like Ankeny. It's the town I stayed in when I went up there 
for the Iowa-Iowa State game this past year. He feels, he's like Vizina with Clemson. He feels like Iowa State to me. So anyway, what I was going to say is when we were leaving there, a lot of folks were saying, is, is, he, is he so good that Iowa State's going to lose him? I don't think they will. I understand. I totally understand the sentiment there. I don't think they will. And if they hold on to him, if Matt Campbell holds on to him, they've, to me, got a franchise quarterback for years to come. So those were some of the behind-the-scenes stories. I will be more than happy on the Late Kick Extra podcast this Tuesday, or Wednesday, I guess is when it'll drop. I'll be more than happy to share some more stories there. I can go a little bit longer for them, a little bit more into detail. I wanted to wrap the show up. I'm, I'm looking over both shoulders now. All right, now our hardcore viewers and listeners are tuned in. We got to 100,000 subscribers while we were live on air the other night. Are you kidding me? I don't know how you orchestrated that, and I don't know who orchestrated that, but as I told you, it took me off guard. So here's been the promise on the show. From management through me to you, management has told us for a while, when we get to 100,000 subscribers, a big surprise is coming. Um, good news and I, it's not bad news, but good news and other news tonight. As it turns out, they were not lying. Uh, here's, the, here's the other news. The other news is it's a holiday weekend and you got us to 100,000 a little bit faster than management thought you would get us to. Imagine you, of all people, hate state, of all people, of all groups of people being underestimated. Couldn't be me. I never underestimated you. Management did. Anyway, I say all that to say this. Uh, we've got meetings lined up this week about said surprises. So here's what I'm going to do in classic Vince McMahon fashion. I'm going to say something like, one week from tonight, this Sunday night, kind of pay-per-view feel, circa late 90s. This Sunday night, one week from tonight, I do not have one major announcement. I'm actually looking at them on this piece of paper right now. I would call this four major announcements. And it's more than four. I'd call four of these major. Some of them we've been waiting on, you and I, as I tap the pen on the desk for emphasis, for a long, long time. I'm talking about back into the Columbus, Georgia days. Long time. The second thing you need to know is, because a lot of you asked today, uh, my contract situation is not resolved. I've promised to keep you in the loop on this. I'm keeping you in the loop on it. My contract situation is not resolved. You may think to yourself, how in the world are you talking about management at your employer, but your, your contract's not resolved? Oh, and by the way, why in the world did the YouTube channel just change from 24-7 to late cake? What a tangled web, huh? I promise you it will make sense one week from tonight. So, there are some things that don't have finality about them, what you need to know is the show itself, this channel, me sitting right here, totally safe, only onward and upward in a big way. However, the rest of it shakes out. So there are some elements that are already cemented in place. There are some other things that we need to straighten out. But a week from tonight, you tell grandma, you tell me, you tell people and everybody in between, be here. I got some stuff to say that we've wanted to say for a long time. In the meantime, I need to tell you thank you again. I didn't really get demonstrative the other night, and uh, I don't want to cry in front of Jesse, certainly, and Colin, but it was a big thrill, especially to do it out when we were in L.A., because we had a lot of our folks that normally don't get to observe the show gathered around. The stuff we do, we're not really supposed to be able to do. You know, you're supposed to be on traditional, um, you're supposed to be able to do this kind of stuff on a national syndicated radio show or, or on a national television broadcast. Our industry's changing so rapidly. Ours, our show here, what you've done with it, 
is being served up as we speak as a case study to high-level mustaches, not just at this company, but at other major media companies all across the country as a blueprint for what the next era of this could look like. I took that responsibility a long time ago when Shannon Terry called us up and he gave us this opportunity at 24-7. I knew that our success or failure was going to determine the future of countless others, of you out there in the independent content creation space, because if ours worked out, it would green light a lot of opportunities for others. And if ours didn't work out, it would slam the door in your face. Ours has worked out. It's what I take some of the most pride in as a result of what we have been able to do here. A lot of other people are gonna get opportunities, including at this company. And that process is ongoing as we speak. So thank you guys. Gonna have a lot more about that this coming Sunday night. Until then, have a great start to your holiday week. Maybe you got more days off than just tomorrow, but whatever the case may be, appreciate you. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.